Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 20th of December 2010. Now newcomers as always, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, help yourself to the hundreds of audios for download where I try to give you shortcuts to the big picture of the system you're, you're born into and I try and show you how it works and how it all works together of course and the various agencies, organizations, etc., often through the United Nations and all their foundations that work with them. The Parallel Government, as it's called, by Carol Quigley, who was the historian for the CFR, and he tells you that uh, the world's run vastly differently from the way that you're taught in school, and that's intentionally, of course, that you're taught uh, a different story. You must think we're just bumbling along down through time, and we... We just sort out the problems day by day as we go along, and that's what government you think it does. But nothing is further from the truth. You're living an agenda. So help yourself to the audios there. Remember, all the sites listed on cuttingthroughthematrix.com on the front page are the official sites. Nothing else out there is mine, and um, that's what I'm responsible for. And remember, they all carry a lot of transcripts, too, in English, of the talks for prints up, if you wish that to to, to be your way to go. A lot of some people prefer reading, in fact. You can print them around, up and pass them around to your friends. And remember to go into Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel. You'll see that listed on the comm site as well if you want transcripts in other languages. Take your pick. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. I am a pretty independent guy here. I am not beholding to advertisers to promote various products, etc. The ads you hear in the show are paid by advertisers to RBN directly. They've got nothing to do with it at all, or who's on or whatever. And that pays for the airtime and the staff and equipment of RBN and the broadcast too, and their bills, because it costs a lot of cash to broadcast all this stuff day after day after day. So help me out with my bills, and you can do so by buying the books I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, the discs and so on. And uh, some of the discs have 40 shows or more on them. And it's a good thing to have for reference down the road when who knows what happens with the Internet because big things are planned, obviously. And I'll be talking about that tonight, in fact. So purchase the books, etc. From the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. You can use cash if you want to send cash through the mail that gets through. And you can also, uh, as I say, uh, use PayPal to order or donate. Use the donation button, send off the appropriate donation, followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you as fast as I can. Remember, mail is slow, too, at this time of year with the Christmas rush, and everyone's passing their their parcels through the post uh, full of stuff made in China because it's tradition, apparently. And apart apart from that, it's really commerce that simply benefits from it and the guys who take all the interest off your credit cards. But that's the way you've all been trained to go. 
be very careful with your cash and what you use it for. And it's time to often get rid of these commercialized traditions because that's all they are commercial now. Nothing to do with the time of year, religion or whatever. It's to do with massive commerce. And the rest of the world, too, if you want to order from me, use PayPal to order or donate. That's your fastest way, perhaps, uh, to send the donation plus a separate email again with your name, address, and order. I'll get it out to you. Some people just send cash from Europe. Some people uh, will use Western Union for wiring directly uh, or MoneyGram. MoneyGram can be wired, and it can also be for cheaper, uh, a cheaper way. You can actually get a check from them in Canadian dollars, URIND, and post it across. It's far cheaper to do. These are the ways to go. Eventually, we'll be wiring only, and that will be the way of the world, because the big world order wants to monitor every darn thing that you do. That's what total information network means. I often ask people what they think total means. Describe total. That means everything you say, do, and put on that that screen there and send it off to whomever is all monitored and kept and put in a database along with your personality profile so they can update you to make sure that nothing radical has happened in your behavior in the last few days or so. They even have virtual use in the Pentagon. I read the articles about that too, where all the big servers provide all your data to them daily and they update the virtual you, which they use in testing different scenarios to see what you would do in particular situations. And it tends apparently to be dead on with what you would actually do in reality. Quite something, eh? But of course, they keep telling you you're free. Like Bertrand Russell says, he says that people can be living in misery, but they'll believe they're, they're happy because the government will tell them so. And that's what we're told all the time. We've never had it so good, apparently, even as we're going into what they call austerity measures, which is poverty measures, to redistribute what they call our wealth across the rest of the world. It's all nice and communistically fair, isn't it? And that's what we're all working for. You know, governments were taken over an awful long time ago. An awful, awful long time ago. And the big departments in the U.S. that were taken over immediately were the State Department. You had to take the State Department down first and staff it with your own people. And then it simply went from there to there to there. Because, you see, anyone who runs for Congress or any position politically in any country, in fact, needs the support of the big guys with the cash. They rule the world. They put in their own people who pretend then to, to serve you. And they must all belong to the Council on Foreign Relations if they want to be president and those around immediately around the president or prime minister. And it's been like that since the late 1800s, according to the guy who was historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, Carol Quigley. That's the real world you're living in. Most people don't know it. Most people don't want to know it. It kind of scares them to think there's others, there's another agenda on the go and they have no possibility of getting in touch with a congressman who will listen, which is of course the fact of it all. You're very lucky ever to get through to someone who's supposed to represent you, but then they don't represent you at all, do they? They have all their, their assistance to deal with you. And the greatest assistant of all is called the garbage bin. Everything you send in ends up in the garbage bin. Because, you see, they can't change their agendas because of little old you. Not at all. But big, big things are happening now. And now that they've got everyone hooked on the Internet, and I said this years ago, they'll get you all hooked on it. 
and eventually they'll start to police it and take it down until it's uniform, mainstream, etc. Uh, and you'll keep putting your data up there. That's the only reason it's there for us, to make sure the data, you're putting your data up there and sharing it with everybody. That means that the, it's, it's public um, property and the government snatches it. Cops watch all the, your tweets, your tweets, your Twitters and all, all the things that little birdies do when they make a chatter. Birds are pretty ineffectual, you know, when they make a chatter. And that's why they give you names like Tweet and Twitter and all the rest of it, if you haven't figured that out by now. But that's the world we're living in, as I say. And it's changing very, very quickly, rapidly, as they go into the next step. And I'm going to read tonight some articles. I'll give you the links, remember, at the end of the show uh, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You have to give me some time to get the first page up before you search for them because I have to upload slowly by satellite. Even though it's supposed to be high speed, it's pretty slow. And um, that's the way of the world again, too. There's a lot of a lot of fibs. They say fibs in Britain. Not a, a lie sounds worse, but a fib is more acceptable. There's a lot of fibs in commerce when they want to sign you on to different things and get a lot of cash out of you, like giving you high speed. But I have no option, as I say, because I live in what's called the country, and eventually be one of the few left in the country before they tax me out of here too, or send some guy in uh, under the environment to say, you can't stay here because of this, this, and this, and this. And my God, you're polluting the land with uh, whatever, you know, excess CO2 from your breath or whatever, and I'll be bunged off into the cities with the rest of them, because that is the agenda uh, in Agenda 21. The United Nations has already said uh, that by the year 2030, 2040, um, there'll be very few people living in the country, less than 3%, and they will be extremely rich people. Well, who they'll be actually are your, your overlords uh, who manage everything and a lot of the helpers, the high bureaucrats who manage the world state, because by then there will be no deception whatsoever. They will simply call it the world state. You're under the world government. We're, going, we're actually under it now, but we're going through the farce of pretending we have sovereign nations, even though Rompuy, the head of the EU, who was never elected, of course, because he did it all in secrecy, and they admit that too, um, said it's the end of the nation state. It's over, finished. So let's not kid ourselves about things. When you bail money out, uh, and what is money anyway? That's a whole different topic. But when you bail other countries out with your hard-earned cash uh, to help people supposedly pay off a debt that's going to take another thousand, two thousand years to pay off, uh, then it's all farcical, isn't it? Don't you understand it's not meant to be paid off. It's meant to keep you in a system for the future, in the future, in slavery under the same people. That's what it's all about. And that's why they've never changed it, even though it's never worked on behalf of the people. Why should they change it when it keeps you in perpetual debt and slavery? That's a, that's a reason for this debt system, central banking, and all the rest of it, where we borrow money. Here's an article here. It's the United Nations considers the panel of government uh, governments to set policies for policing the Internet. So here's the policing thing going a, a step further. And it says, uh, United Nations Task Force um, formed last week said it was consider, considering the creation of a new intergovernmental um, panel of governments, of a panel of governments to set policies for policing the Internet. 
the discussion was undertaken to enhance and extend the work of the Internet Governance Forum, the IGF. They love these little terms because we can't remember them all, can we? IGF, a UN-sponsored organization, again a private one, that makes recommendations on how governments should deal with the Internet. Now, no doubt it's all put under a charitable organization, you see. That gives them free scope to do what you want and pay no taxes. The IGF mandate is due to expire soon, so members of the UN's Commission on Science and Technology for Development Bureau took up the issue and formed a task force to determine what the new IGF should look like. The Bureau's members decided their task force would be limited to governments only, with no representation by civil or industry groups. So there's no public input, that's you or I. Decision drew a sharp warning from uh, search giant Google. This is as formalities to go through this. Oh, you can't do that. Then they go along with it quite happily. Which insisted that the next IGF, if comprised only of governments, could result in them obtaining a monopoly on how the Internet is run, as opposed to the current model where innovation flows from the bottom up. Google's blog said the firm had joined a petition of other industry groups in opposing the composition of the UN's task force. But it's a done deal, you see. Delegates stressed the new working group would not pose an effort uh, to micromanage industry, but to better facilitate government control over networks in a broader sense. That, that's very vague, isn't it? In a broader sense. And to harmonize, that's when we all sing together, saying we're screwed. Uh, to harmonize enforcement policies between nations, it's all to do with bringing in new laws as to who can say what on the net and what you can't say, instant fines, and then even banishment into the great black ether when they take you off the net for a while to punish you. And I'm not kidding about that. It's a tool for reward and punishment. That's really what it is. Because we're treated as animals, you see. It works with animals, it will work with us. And unfortunately, they're very true. They're very right on with all of this stuff. At the task force meeting on Tuesday, delegates for China, Brazil, India, South Africa, Serbia, and Saudi Arabia said they supported an the, the government-only plan, with some saying they hoped it would further proliferation of broadband services in poorer nations. Well, we'll all pay for that anyway. Brazil uh, specifically insisted it should not be seen as a takeover of the Internet. A delegate from Portugal added that proliferation of the Internet had already made such an impact on helping impoverished African nations, where banking by cell phone has become popularized uh, thanks to support by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That's where you get all the junk mail saying, you know, uh, some guy died in a car crash in, 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 in uh, Zimbabwe or something and left a billion dollars to you. I get that every day. I'm worth a fortune if I collect all this cash from all these people I don't know who's left me money. It's fantastic. So that's what we're paying for, actually. And while she created the spread of technology with opening countries, she also said that the free and open Internet has a tendency to create crime, create crime, really, oh, out in the real world giving reason for enhanced international cooperation on network management and law enforcement. So there you go with the law enforcement. The comments seem to be one of several less than subtle nudges, again, they love nudges again, towards policies. It's interesting that policy has got police in it, isn't it? Policies that could be construed as a response to secrets, uh, outright WikiLeaks, which has in recent weeks caused an international furor over its role in aiding media reports on a cache of leaked U.S. State Department cables, which I am not really into at all. I'm not really sure. This stuff seems too um, suspicious to me. 
The U.S. Department of Justice said it was investigating charges against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, who was recently released on bail in London pending an extradition fight over sexual assault charges by, from Sweden. The whole thing doesn't smell right, does it? Here they are wanting to go further policing the internet and bingo, out comes Julian Assange, who also has said that he believes that um, the government, when they say who brought down the towers, were quite right and stuff like that, you know. I mean, it just doesn't smell right. And it's amazing, too, amongst all the garbage, which is just gossip, which everyone will forget in the emails, the leaked emails, the things that stand out, which the government's grabbing, is, is Iran is really bad, and these countries are really, really terrible, etc. It just doesn't sound right. In the weeks since stories about the cables, and by the way, he's in the same prison as John is in, uh, the guy who put out the... the the video 7-7 uh, um, seven, seven ripple effect about the bombings in London, asking all the questions that should have been asked in the courts. And he lost his, his extradition uh, charge from Ireland, and he's, now he's over in England and in the same prison as Asangi. Asangi has been released, by the way, which I knew would happen. But uh, John's in there, apparently, for, it could be for life, because they tried him under the Terrorism Act for putting out a video and sending it to the judge. Amazing, eh? See, there's, there's, there's a, that's what they really do to you if they want you inside. They put you inside and throw away the key. And the weeks since stories about the cables began appearing in newspapers all over the world, the U.S. government and private entities such as PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, online retailer Amazon, and even a Swiss bank have acted in tandem in a campaign to censor the website halt its function, funding, and knock it offline, even after mass attacks succeeding in getting WikiLeaks Org delisted from the, the centralized Internet Corporation for assigned names and numbers, ICANN, which is another private charitable organization, ICANN, that uh, takes track of all your Internet names. We're being policed by so many of these private charitable organizations. It's just astonishing, isn't it? There's so much people wanting to do good in the world. Uh, and mind you, they've got all this money to back them too. They don't go around with tin cans. We're policed by private companies, is the bottom line. And when you've got private companies dealing with you, uh, you can't complain to government. You just say, well, it's a private company. What can we do? You know, That's the way of the world. That's the reality of the world. And that's where we are in this world today. So I'll put this link up to at the end of the evening, remember, on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Another article, too, has to do with uh, the UK, which a, a part of the strategy of bringing them down was to flood them, absolutely flood them over many years with massive immigration from the most diverse cultures in order to destroy, as Tony Blair's aide said, the British culture forever. So it could never come back. Well, they've been awfully successful with it. But it says here, the migrant cap, they're putting a cap on migration, or they're they're talking about it, is illegal and must be ditched, say the judges. And this is from the Mail. It says, the migration cap brought in by Home Secretary Theresa May was unlawful. Judges have said the migration. So it says, um, they ruled that the first attempt at an immigration cap brought in by the Home Secretary Theresa May during the summer was unlawful and must be dropped. So the so basically it's a free-for-all for getting in row. And they were trying to cut down on the unskilled workers, just basic laborers, when Britain's full of unemployed laborers. Quite something, eh? 
so they've said they can't do that they've got to let them all in back with more after this break Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about an article here concerning trying to cap immigration for unskilled labour, but most of it's coming in not from the EU, uh, it's coming in from outside the EU. Now the EU now is just a new Soviet bloc, so they're allowed to travel within there looking for work to, from country to country, but most of the immigration for the 30, 40 years is coming from outside that bloc. So the politicians do the usual posturing, get us in and we'll do this, this and this, and then they go in, uh, pass something which they know won't get through, and then they, well, we tried, we tried to fulfill our, pol- our promises, and that's what they're really doing in Britain, right? Everything in, in, in government is a pantomime for the public. That's all it is. This posturing and pantomime for the public with a bit of sophistry uh, put out there by very good scriptwriters. And some of these scriptwriters, by the way, are international scriptwriters. They go from country to country or they sit in their own homes somewhere else in some other country and write them up for these guys. We've had instances, in fact, where, where the Prime Minister of Canada was giving the exact same speech, the exact same speech as the Prime Minister from Australia because they, they, they were in a hurry, they said, and they had to borrow the guy's speech. So they, there's a, up in Google somewhere, there's actually a split screen where you'll see them both giving the same speech, backing up the US to invade Iraq and all the rest of it. It's quite funny to watch. So these are actors, and it's a pantomime stage, and we're supposed to believe in them. And, of course, their job is also to take the rotten tomatoes when we get upset and stuff like that, you see. The big boys put them in charge, as Carl Quigley said. The top guys, and especially all the advisors who know the agenda, they're the guys who really are important. Uh, They're all part of the CFR. And they have uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs in Britain, which is CFR, and um, they have one now for the whole of the European Union and for their parliament as well. So why bother voting when you're voting for the Royal Institute of International Affairs and, and its European branch? Why bother, right? But that's, that's what you're living through. It's just utter nonsense, as I say. Now, Google also, um, you've all heard of Chrome OS to do with the cloud. This cloud is where we're all to get pushed eventually into the cloud. Maybe it's above the CO2, I don't know. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to push into this cloud where we won't need hard drives and so on on your computers uh, because, my God, the cloud will take care of everything for you and I'll update all the spyware. You don't worry about any of that stuff anymore. That's why it's been getting so so annoyed. Everyone's getting so annoyed about their new programs for spyware and Trojans and yada, yada, yada. It's, it's most of it's nonsense. Uh, but we all go through the, the motions of downloading uh, updates for spyware and so on. But it's to get you trained into saying, thank God, some, something's taken over for us. We don't have to, take, can, to keep doing this all the time. You see? So it says, Google's Chrome OS means losing control of data, warns GNU founder uh, Richard Stallman. And that's from uh, the Guardian Technology. Generally, they're very left-wing on everything else. But anyway... It says, a new cloud computing, Chrome OS looks like a plan to push people into careless computing by forcing them to store their data in the cloud rather than on machines directly under the control, warns Richard Stallman, founder of the Free Software Foundation and creator of the operating system GNU. 
two years ago. Stallman, a computing veteran who's a strong advocate of free software via his Free Software Foundation, another foundation, warned that making extensive use of cloud computing was worse than stupidity because it meant a loss of control of data by the user, right? Now he says he's increasingly concerned about the release by Google of its Chrome OS operating system, which is based on GNU Linux and designed to store the minimum possible data locally. That's That's on your computer. Instead, it relies on a data connection to link to Google's cloud of servers, which are unknown uh, at unknown locations to store documents and other information. Folk will love it, actually. Most folk, as you know, the herd will just go right into this. It's so easy and so convenient. I can always get access as long as I'm awfully good. Uh, otherwise, you're locked out, right? The risks include loss of re- legal rights to data if it's stored on a company's machine rather than your own. And that's a fact, too. It's like a bank. When you put money in a bank, it's not yours anymore. If you look into the laws of it, it's not yours anymore. It's the same with putting your data on someone else's machine. It's not yours anymore. And Stallman points this out. He says, in the U.S., you even lose legal rights if you store your data in a company's machines instead of your own. The police need to present you with a search warrant to get your data from you at the moment. But they're stored in a company's server. The police can get it without showing you anything. They may not even have to give the company a search warrant. Google gave Chrome OS a soft launch last week, showing off aspects of the software and providing developers and some journalists with CR40 laptops set up to run it. Well, they'll they'll write glowing reports since they're getting these free laptops, eh? while saying that it won't uh, be widely available until mid-2011. In reality, though, it's, it's all set to go, as you well know. Eric Schmidt, Google's chief, and as far as Google goes, I mean, I, I'm just, I just say it's a branch of the NSA. It's just a branch of the NSA. There's no doubt about it. I watched a, a documentary quite some time back where the head of Google was quite casually saying, "Oh yeah, we share all the data uh, with MI6 and so on. Anybody who asks for it, we give it." Well, they are part of it. They're part of the intelligence network. You have to have something like that. You can't have real private organizations out there. Um, for the the public, protecting the public, you got to make sure you put out the biggest one first, which is run by the NSA. For the whole point of it is data collection, isn't it? For total information network. Anyway, it says um, for me these announcements were amongst the most important of my working life. That's from Eric Schmidt, Google's chief executive, who's all for, of course. Back with more after this break. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix just giving talking about an article about the cloud computing. Most will go into this there's no doubt about it. I have no no doubt that people won't flood into this if it's just easier, it's better, and all the rest of it, because they've got so much time in their hands, you see. They, they can't spend seconds uh, taking care of their own computer here and there. They want to be surfing all the time and playing with their virtual this and virtual that, etc., everything except reality. And you can't stop lemmings. Uh, that's a fact. You know, you can't stop them. That's never worked so far. Anyway... 
as this Stallman goes on, Stallman, who was the inventor of the, the first part of this thing, he says a, creep, a creeping problem exists. I suppose many people will continue moving towards careless computing. That's the term they're using uh, when you give all your data away for free because there's a sucker born every minute. And that's true. Barnum came up with that uh, statement a long time ago. The U.S. government may try to encourage people to place their data where the U.S. government can seize it without showing the search warrant rather than in their own property. However, as long as enough of us continue keeping our data under our own control, we can still do so. And we'd better do so or the option may disappear. So it says, Stallman sees only one aspect of the Chrome OS to applaud, which is the GNU Linux heritage. This is, in essence, GM OS is the GNU Linux operating system. However, it's delivered without the usual applications and rigged up to impede and discourage installing applications, he told the Guardian. I'd say the problem is the nature of the job Chrome OS is designed to do, namely encourage you to keep your data elsewhere and do your computing elsewhere instead of doing it on your own computer. And, of course, it would be a hacker's dream and all the rest of it. So anyway, it's um, it's all coming together. Everything that happens in the news comes together at the right time. Even the people who supposedly um, uh, get get put up there as champions of speech by leaking stuff, instead, it kind of works together. And you really can't take much that you're, you're being told as, as fact anymore. We're living in a fantasy here of massive intelligence networking and operations to make you believe certain things left, right, up, down, whatever. And that is true. That's very, very true. Very true. Now, we are treated like animals, as I say. At the top level, they have no problem talking about us as animals. We're trained the exact same way. They have behaviorists working with them and various other neuroscientists now and and neuroeconomists, they call them as well, using incentives to make people do things or punishing them financially if they don't do things. We're treated exactly the same way as animals, Pavlovian dogs. Uh, only Actually, they keep calling us mice, rats, and sheep, and cattle. But anyway, regardless, that's how we're really, really treated at the bottom. And unfortunately, it does really work. It does work. Uh, because in some of the U.S. cities, for instance, uh, and people keep tabs with me all the time on what's happening in the subways, etc. And for the last few years, the cops were bringing down tables into the subways, and they stand around these tables. But it was for inspections, but they didn't do any inspecting. They're getting you trained to, to, to see them so you don't get spooked and scared and nervous. And once you get used to something, you kind of ignore them. And then eventually they start asking the random person, uh, can we expect your purse there, ma'am, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're trained incrementally, as you would do with any animal. And so here's Washington. It says, officers will start random bagging inspections on the sprawling Washington subway system. I guess they'll do it all over the place now. The, the Washington Metro Transit Police said Thursday, a week after a man was arrested for making a bomb threats to the rail system. You know, for as long as I've lived, people who've got a, a beef have made bomb threats forever. We shop malls and you name it, whatever it is, they make bomb threats, anonymous bomb threats. Anyway, uh, Metro Rail Police, and, and who says that the guy did it or not, eh? Who, who knows? Did they do it themselves to get this through? Metro Rail Police officers plan to randomly select bags before passengers enter subway stations and they will swab them, they're going to swab them, or have an explosive sniffing dog check the bags, according to the Metro Police. It's amazing being a suspect and everything, eh? We're all suspects now, you see. 
Every person across the planet is a suspect. And uh, that's what they used to call in the Soviet system collective punishment. That guy at the Far East Coast did something there. So the whole lot of you uh, are forbidden now to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Collective punishment. It says there is no specific or credible threat to the system at the time. He said in a statement, passengers who refuse to have their bags inspected will be denied entry into the subway system. So there you go. It's blackmail, isn't it? Blackmail. It's like it's like Fido, you see, in Pavlov's hands. If it doesn't roll over or jump into the corner it's supposed to, it won't get fed. It's the same thing. It says the program will increase visible methods of protecting our passengers and employees while minimizing inconvenience to riders. Well, how is that going to do when they're... And I'll tell you what's going to come eventually. You'll get strip searched in public. And I'm not kidding about that either. That is coming. That is coming. You have to be utterly dehumanized with no self-respect and trained into that for a generation to be utter, you know, like serfs or slaves in ancient Egypt or something. You'll do whatever you're told. That's what they want. We're under authoritarianism now, and we're getting trained through the scientific techniques as opposed to the old-fashioned persuasion by reason, as they say. Now, sometimes, too, there's trivia comes out there, and um, you've got to look at the, the trivia and know how to read it, you know. And newspapers love the term outrage, stuff like that. You know, stuff causes outrage. And this is... This is how far people really read articles without thinking what's behind it. And the newspapers are full of this kind of thing. It says, death crashed driver wins asylum bid. And this is in Britain. And it says here, uh, Aso Mohammed Ibrahim, an Iraqi Kurd, was 33, of course, he's probably a 33rd degree, was already banned from driving when he ran off, leaving Amy Houston trapped under his rover car. And then the father, Paul Houston, 41, from Darwell, uh, Lancashire, begged judges at a recent deportation hearing to bring my seven years of hell to an end by sending Ibrahim back to Iraq. This happened seven years ago when the guy was still in Britain. And then they go through the terrible things that happened and so on, and how this guy is still in Britain and so on, and now um, he's been allowed to stay in Britain. This ruled. Finally, he's allowed to stay in Britain. It's meant to get everybody frustrated and angry, you see, as Mr. Houston said he was, frustrated and angry at the decision. And how can he say he's deprived of his right to a family life? The only person deprived of a family life is me. Amy was my only family. He says, well, what's behind that? Well, the guy's an asset, you see. The guy is hes Islamic. He is an asset to MI5. That's the reason they let him stay in the country. That's why he was there in the first place. That's why he was there in the first place. He mixes amongst the community. And they've got, they've got organizations in every town and village across the whole of Britain now where everyone is spied upon by organizations within the community. And that's why. So I'm sorry, even if he killed 10 people, they'd still say, well, he's worth it, he's a good asset. And that's what's missing from this paper, if you haven't figured it out. What a world we live in, eh? See, we're all disposable. For the greater good, you understand. Yeah. The greater good. Now, there's a lot of do-gooders in the world, and folk who are do-gooders are very often brainwashed by the, the political correctness of their time. 
real do-gooders often get coshed in the head with batons and stuff by for doing the wrong thing. But other ones kind of fall into the nature loving and all the rest of it. Here's an article here to show you how crazy it is in the most control freak country in the planet right now. Men who risk their lives to save a pregnant deer, a pregnant deer, right, from icy river, are fined for not wearing life jackets by the police. It says it was an act of selfless charity that should have earned them a medal, but instead of being praised, a pair of good Samaritans have been hit with a $90 fine each for saving a pregnant deer from an icy death. Jim Hart and Khalil Abuskran sprang into action when the stricken animal got itself stuck on a semi-frozen river. The pair had reportedly grown exasperated watching a fire crew and a policeman stand next to the icy water and discuss amongst themselves what to do. Do you remember the article too? It happened a few years back when a plane came down in New York and into the water and they're all standing at the side watching folk drowning and a guy eventually just... Uh, off with his clothes and dived in and saved a woman. He's a hero. Well, if you do something like that in Britain, they're going to fine you because they weren't wearing a flight a life jacket. I'm not kidding you. This is it. It says, uh, so it says, uh, when the emergency services looked on, they jumped into their own boat and rowed into the middle of the river where they hacked away at 10 foot thick ice with their oars and freed the deer. It says, um, but instead of thanking them, uh, the men, when they got back to shore, the policemen ticked them off and then issued them with a $90 fine for not wearing life jackets. Mm. So now they face a court hearing in February where they plan to argue their case and refuse to pay the ticket. I guess they'll think that reason will win out in the end. This is a country where a pensioner, member would uh, drop money out of his pocket. You know, that was, was a £5 note or £10 note. And he was fined a quite a large amount of money for dropping litter. He didn't know he dropped cash. Who would drop cash and walk away? But that's a control freak society you're now living in, folks. These police are robots now. They just want to get people fined and, and on tickets and so on. There's no coming and going with these robots anymore. There's no common sense involved. They just want to get somebody on their books. That's all. It's good for their resume, you know, getting up the ladder. Anybody's fair game. Anybody at all. Now, from the Globe and Mail, for, for, for a change, they actually put an article in which makes some sense. And it's important regarding the system. It doesn't tell you, fill it all in for you, but it gets, if you understand the agenda, it helps you uh, with more data. It says, 227 years ago, English reformer Jeremy Bentham for those who understand, know the name, proposed an idea that seemed to foretell everything in 2010. What if, instead of private individuals judged only by God, we had a society based on total and universal transparency in which anyone could be observed at any moment and government activities and citizens' lives could instantly be assessed by anyone who cared to look? Sounds kind of nice, utopian, eh? And that was the age of the utopian thinkers. It says, a world without privacy, he declared, would be a world of universal morality. Well, look around you, folks. Do you see? Well, it's a new morality. I guess morality is anything they tell you it is. A new mode of obtaining power of mind over mind in a quantity uh, hitherto without example, and that to a degree equally without example, secured by whoever chooses to have it, so against abuse. 
The most concrete legacy of Bentham's utopianism was his idea, then considered dangerously intrusive, of having Parliament conduct its debates in public and on the record. Up to then, Parliament had taken place in secret, and governments had argued that public access to debates would damage national security. The Benthamites wanted it open, and their agendas, agenda was pushed by free information radicals such as London Mayor Brass Crosby, there's a name for you, Brass Crosby, who helped publishers use illegal mass documents leaks in the form of then-illegal transcripts, later known as Hansard. Hansard's very good looking up today because you got all the House of Lords stuff on it too. Or some of it, because the stuff kept in secret yet. To force parliamentary debates into the public. It doesn't matter what par- parliament debates. It's an acting show because, you see, things are really done in secret through shadow governments and, and different departments and so on. This is but Bentham's most radical ideas were embodied in the panopticon. It was designed for a large circular public building, which is using for prisons now, by the way, whose occupants arrayed around its backlit perimeter can be seen at once from a central tower. This turned open information into a way of life. didn't matter if there were 50 guards in the darkened tower or one or even none. Everyone in any room knew that there was a good chance he was being watched so he would change his behavior, behavior modification, you see. Which is all, what we're all getting taught to do now is the cameras are all over the place. You walk around just like you did in the Soviet Union. Your face is blank, if you have any sense at all. And you can have to look at the sidewalk and everybody's feet as you're walking by and don't look anybody in their eyes. This is how old this agenda is. This was the, uh, most popular as a design for prisons, and there are still hundreds of panopticon penitentiaries around the world, but it's also meant to be applied to hospitals, schools, factories, madhouses, that's the world, and facilities for the maintenance of virginity. I don't know what that is. Maintenance of virginity. That's maybe some special clones of me or something. Bentham didn't just want privacy to break down between government and citizens or prisoners. He believed that ending privacy would actually make guards, police, and many government agencies unnecessary because citizens would do the observing. So turning the world into spies is what he's talking about. The doors of all public establishments ought to be thrown wide open to the body of the curious at large, the great open committee of the tribunal of the world, he wrote, noting the breakdown of privacy would create not only moral behavior amongst those observed, but entertainment for those doing the watching. Well, I'm sure they have a good laugh in all these places where they have all the TV cameras, the monitors. Eh? This is the scene in prison, he wrote, uh, though I can find would be a very various and therefore perhaps not altogether an, an, an amusing one. So I, I guess he didn't see himself as getting observed just the peasants. He said, we're now living in the world of Jeremy Bentham, which he dreamed about. It's not just that our technologies from GPS-equipped cell phones to social media accounts to ubiquitous CTV cameras to full-body scanners give us the ability to see almost anything about anyone. A great many of us, maybe a majority, have come to believe that privacy is not so much a right or a luxury, but a bad idea, a social evil. You understand this has got a slant on it, this whole article, and that's why it's in the paper, folks. The guy who came up with Facebook said the same thing. The day of privacy is over. It's a bad thing. For, well, it's bad for whom, eh? Whom? The training, the generations, and you all out there, not to even bother with privacy. Who needs it anyway? We've evolved, you see. You don't have tyrannical governments anymore. You don't get psychopaths born every generation anymore. No, no, no. Everybody's so nice and sweet. 
It says, in January, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of, uh, of Facebook, just declared Times Magazine's person of the year. But don't worry, folks, because Hitler was too in the 1930s twice. Took, us, took to a stage and denounced privacy as an obsolete value. When I got started in my dorm room at Harvard, he said, the question a lot of people asked was, why should I want to put any information on the Internet at all? Why would I want to have a website? That changed in less than five years. Now, to reveal your private world and to peer into the intimacies of others, willingly or not, is often considered normal. And Mr. Zuckerberg, it's interesting to talk about a sucker born every minute. There, there's Mr. Zucker, which is sucker, you know. <laughs> anyway, Mr. Zuckerberg realized that he could end the world's privacy fixation. And oh, he could do it all himself, eh? Do you understand they're all connected? The stars they give you. The guys that play their role, like Bill Gates and all the rest of it. Pulled up. You know, pulled up through the door of lights, just like in the Matrix, and told what to do. Live very well off it, mind you. We're all part of a... You must believe, you see, it's a diff- different guys willy-nilly, all unconnected, that's bringing this world into existence. There's nothing further from the truth. There is an incredible organization above all this. With all the money in the world, sincere the lenders. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix and we've got Kelly from Edmonton online. Are you there, Kelly? Yes. Hello? Yeah. Hello. Oh, hi, Alan. Thank you for everything that you're, you're doing. Um, I have a quick question. Um, it's cons- and it's a little bit off topic and I'm sure that in the past you have uh, perhaps covered this already. Um, my question is what are or if any of the what are the connections between the Salvation Army Church and the Freemasons? Um, they have a. They have a well, well, the guys, the guy who set up the Salvation Army, um, the ones who set it up were all uh, high Freemasons to begin with, and when they set them up, it was to advance the British Empire at the time by bringing the Oxford group, they called them, uh, that was run and set up by money from the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Uh, um, decided that they'd have to bring in a form of religion in, ac- across their empire that they were conquering. They decided that religion, in fact, uh, especially uh, an obedient kind of religion, would be awfully good to, to go into Africa with in different countries like that. But um, they are Masonic uh, in nature. It's the same time that they set up the Boy Scouts as well. Uniform. Whenever you see uniformity, it means one. You see, uniform, one form. Uh, it's just like the military and the militarization of them. But even, you'll notice too, during uh, it was um, the tsunami, I think it was first with the tsunami, the presidents and prime ministers all said that you must give your money to the Red Cross and the Salvation Army. So for the first time, they're telling you where to put your aid to, all the, the cash to, and so on. And then eventually they put George Bush Sr. over, uh, with Bill Clinton over, uh, the distribution of this cash that apparently just all went missing as far as I can tell. It did not go to the countries it was supposed to go to. So it's all part of this big global structure. And the Salvation Army now have caved in to all the other demands they used to have. They will not talk about certain topics and so on in order to have their, 
their official status for tax-free exemption, etc. They actually caved in and agreed not to mention certain topics um, like homosexuality and stuff like that or anything that, that offended anybody at all. So they're very politically correct now. Yeah. Are they the um, only church that has uh, tax-exempt no. uh, donations? Oh, no. Most churches uh, are registered under tax-exempt uh, donations and so on. And, but they also get handed a list of things they must not say to the congregation. Uh, and that goes across the whole of Canada. Almost every church has signed on to it a long time ago, in fact. And that's why they must be politically correct. And, and whenever they get a new item or term or topic added to the list, they must not, they can be fined and lose their license if, uh, if they actually mention any of these things to the general public. You understand that organizations are never demolished. You always use existing organizations because it's already set up for you to use. And the World Council of Churches is run by the Rockefeller Foundation. They set it up. Uh, and, of course, uh, they, they eventually get all their, their indoctrination into the seminaries, so they get a standard indoctrination, and everybody comes out prattling the same stuff that's different from the stuff that was prattled before, the previous generation. So uh, you never destroy an organization. The Catholic Church is the same. Uh, I knew they'd never destroy it. They took it over from within over a long period of time, and you don't waste that kind of power over millions of people. You use it over them, and that's what they've always done. It's much easier to get an existing one that's already established and use it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alan. I know they are having a a meeting in London to uh, vote in the general. Uh-huh. I think that's happening in mid-January of 2011, and it's called the High Council. So uh-huh. I thank you so much for your for your work and for your insights, Alan. This helps me a great okay. deal with my thanks research. For, thanks for and good luck, too. But remember, you hear general or director general is the same as the United Nations. It's the one global system. From Hamish, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>